have authority over how much power of the devil? All. Thank you. We have authority over all the power of the devil. All of it. There's nothing we don't have authority over. Um, And before we get into the nitty-gritty of equipping you to cast out demons and to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover and to pray and see um, circumstances shift and atmosphere shift, those sorts of things, I just want to lay one more foundational thing, if that's okay. Um, Because I want to set you up for a win. Amen? I I want to set you up with some things... Um, that you're believing when you go into these situations and you're faced with something pretty crazy because it happens. Like the devil isn't secret in some of the things that he throws against people. And sometimes you'll come up against things and you'll be like, oh, this is a bit scary and I don't really know what to do. And it's good to have a good foundational belief so that when you're in that situation, you're like, I know that I have all authority And today we're going to talk about um, knowing that we're overcomers. We're called to be overcomers. Amen? And, And we need to get that in our minds. Like you, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're called to be an overcomer. Right? You're called to overcome anything that the devil throws at you. Anything, anything of darkness, you are called to overcome it in the in the name and the power of Jesus. Amen. So that's excited. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Good news. Every single day, every single one of us is faced with circumstances and people and situations who are in trouble and who are under um, the influence of evil in, in some shape or form, right? Yes, we live in Darwin. Yes, definitely. We see it every day, right? Uh, we live in the fallen world. And as Christians, it's so imperative that we get our minds right, right? We, we need to live as sons and daughters of the Most High God, amen, who are seated in heavenly places far above every rule and power and authority and dominion and every other thing, right? Far above, not down, um, um, yeah, not down low amidst all the drama and all the evil, right? We're called to be seated in a separate place and see things from a separate place. Amen. You know, I've had conversations with God often and I'm sure that Many of you in this room would have had this conversation. Sometimes when you can feel darkness coming at you and you feel surrounded by all the, all the bad things happening, sometimes I'll have a conversation with God that's a, that sounds a bit like this. God, why is it always so hard? Why does it feel like I'm like banging up against pushback all the time? There's this pushback. Um... Anyone relate to that? Has anyone had that conversation with God? And you're like, oh, you know, I can see in the word, I'm seated in heavenly places and I've got all authority, but it it still feels hard, right? Um, And you know what? 
there's resistance to you stepping into the fullness of what Jesus paid for you to walk in on the cross. There will always be resistance to that. Why? Why? Because the devil hates it. He absolutely hates it when people start to realize who they are in Christ and they plug into the King, they plug into King Jesus in a place of intimacy, right? I'm sure there's an alarm bell that goes off in the underworld. It's like beep, beep, beep. Guys, we've got a live one here. Shut them down. Shut them down. Go, go, go. Like seriously. He's not afraid of you coming to church on a Sunday and then just going and living like everyone else. Okay? So if you feel a bit of resistance, it's probably because you're doing the right thing. Praise God. Keep going. And it's only this side of heaven that we actually get to choose to be overcomers and to make an impact for Jesus. When When we meet him face to face, when we're in perfection, there will be no pushback. There will be no devil. There will be no dramas, right? We'll be in glory. We'll be worshipping the king forever in perfection, okay? But here, we get to partner with the Lord and actually push back the devil. And it does, it's not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable. In fact, it's usually not. Okay, but we need to get into a position where we realize I have authority and I'm actually called to overcome whatever he throws my way, whatever he throws at my family, whatever he throws at my, you know, my school or my workplace or my city, for goodness sake, whatever evil spirits are operating in this city. No, no, no. I have authority and I'm an overcomer. And I've got the blood of Jesus running through my veins. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to push this thing back in the name of Jesus. Ah. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not about what you can see. It's never about what you can see here on earth. That's why he says, Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. We're called to stand. We're called to push back the darkness. And I'm not going to preach on that scripture today, but there's a great series that we did last year on the armour of God. So maybe rewind on the podcast and go listen to that. But don't be ignorant. We're called to be overcomers. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said um, six or seven times, he goes through it, like to the one who conquers or the one who overcomes, depending on whatever translation you're reading, um, there's there's an eternal reward, okay? There's an eternal reward on offer for those who conquer, for those who learn to overcome, right? Let's just read a few, just to get us 
um, inspired and what's that word? No. It's an incentive. This is an incentive to be an overcomer. There's some incentives. Listen. Uh, Revelation 2, 7. To the one who overcomes or conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Who wants to eat of the tree of life? Put your hand up. Right? You need to overcome. You need to conquer some stuff. Amen. Uh, 2 verse 17. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Ooh, a secret name. How exciting. Um, 2.26, the one who conquers and the one who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Ooh. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Wow. And I will give him the morning star. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and, and my own new name. Ah, oh, this is what's available for the... For the one who overcomes, for the one who conquers. And so today, I have a few, three, three keys to living as an overcomer. And I hope that you can um, glean something from this and tuck it into your belt so that when you do come up against some pushback or some darkness or a situation that needs the power of God, the presence of God, that needs you to actually partner with God and bring a heavenly solution, that you would be like, oh, I'm an overcomer and I've got some keys here, right? So the first one, overcomers, they remove unbelief. Overcomers remove unbelief. Write that down. We're going to go to Mark 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 5. And in... Ah, Jesus was having a great day in Mark 5. He, he was certainly being a conduit of the kingdom. And he was being an overcomer too. So... I'll catch you up a bit on the story. And in Mark 5, Jesus, it starts with Jesus casting out a legion of demons. There was a man that, that couldn't be bound with chains. And um, Jesus cast them all out. And then he was sitting in his right mind, this man, who, who had been possessed by so many demons. And it freaked the town out because here was this man completely changed by the power of God. And they were like, go away, Jesus. Don't even be in our town. They didn't even know what to do. So he goes on his way and he's got a crowd following him. And on the way, there's a woman with a, with a she's been bleeding for 12 years, 13 years, 12 years. Let's get it right. 
bleeding for 12 years. And she's like, if I just touch him, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so she struggles through the crowd and she touches him and Jesus feels the power of God just go out of him and boom, she's healed. And he turns around and he's like, who touched me? And the guys that were with him, his disciples, they're like, are you crazy, Jesus? Look, you're, you are mobbed by a crowd right now. Everyone's touching you. And he's like, no, who touched me? And she comes up and she's like, it was me. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was me. And he's like, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go, you're healed of your disease. So he didn't even pray for her and just boom, the power of God's just flowing through him. That's available for you too. You write that down. The power of God can flow through me even if I don't pray for someone. If Jesus did it, you can do it because he's the one that lives inside of you. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Hallelujah. All right, so we're going to pick up the story at Mark 5, 35. So while he was still speaking, so this is why he was speaking to the lady that got healed, right? There came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Oh, sorry, I didn't tell you. (laughs) I didn't tell you that Jarius, a leader of the synagogue, After he cast the demons out and the town drove Jesus out, um, Jarius came to him and he said, my daughter's really sick. Will you come to my house and pray? Sorry, I missed out that very important key thing. And so he was like, yes, I'll come with you. And on the way, he heals the woman with the blood. And then, boom, we pick it up at 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine being told that your kid is dead? And then straight away, Jesus is like, do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jarius, what he was going through, right? But right here, Jesus is dealing with something that robs us of belief, and it's fear. It's fear. And fear is false evidence appearing real. I'm sure that you've heard that before. But most of the things that we fear don't actually end up happening And the devil loves to throw fear your way so that you start to partner with what he is doing and and it will erode your faith for what God can do, right? An overcomer will not put their faith in what they can see in front of them. They will put their faith in the one who is always the answer, An overcomer will not allow fear to come in and erode their faith. Verse 37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. How interesting. There's a crowd with him and then all of a sudden he gets the news 
the daughter's dead. He's like, don't fear, only believe. And then he's like, you, you and you, come with me. The rest of you stay. Don't want you. Imagine. What's he doing? He's removing all the voices. He's removing the noise. And he's just taking ones who will actually believe with him. Believe for the impossible. Are there voices that you need to remove in your life? That's a little question to journal and think about at home. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when they had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Can you imagine being the mother and your kid is dead? I was like, of course, I would be like a mess, absolute mess. And Jesus is like, why are you weeping? She's, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. The people were like, this guy's a nut job. What's he do? He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Did Jesus get offended at their lack of faith, at their laughing? No. Does he get all self-righteous and go, well, I'm going to show them. Just watch what I can do. No. What's he do? He puts them outside. He puts the unbelief outside. Puts the naysayers outside. He makes no apology about removing all the unbelief from the room. He's showing us what to do with unbelief. You put it outside and you don't give it a voice. I don't care who it is, who is unbelieving. Don't listen to them, you put it outside. We need to be that ruthless with unbelief. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Despite the unbelief of many, Jesus performs a miracle and he raises a dead little girl. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you want to be one that walks in authority and that lives as an overcomer, you must deal with unbelief. Here are some questions I've been asking myself and I encourage you to ask them as well. Is there any fear in my life? If so, what is it? Are there any areas of my life where unbelief is operating? What does it look like when unbelief is in my life? I think it's important to, to 
know what it looks like for you because it will be like we all function differently. And so for me, I know um, when unbelief is operating in my life, I will hesitate. So there'll be an opportunity to pray. And usually I'm learning to just go, I'm going to pray for that, like Amaya with the eczema. It's like, this is annoying and it's been here for a long time. I'm going to pray again. I've prayed before. I'm going to pray again, right? Um, when unbelief is there, I will see the, I'll see the opportunity, but I'll be like, oh, hold back. And I'll hesitate and I'll think about it. And I'll be like, should I pray this way? Should I do that? Whatever. Like, I can feel unbelief is there, right? So that's one way that unbelief looks like in my life. What's it look like in your life? What can I do to shut down the voice of unbelief in my life? These are, this is your homework. Yes, I'm giving you homework from church. Go home, get alone with the Lord and ask these questions and ask the Holy Spirit to show you because you want him to rip this out of your life. You need to, that it's not just something that will happen by hearing me talk about remove the unbelief from your life. It's something that you go home and you talk to the Lord and you're like, what does it look like? What am I fearing? Um, whatever. And he speaks to you and you're like, right, what do I need to remove from my life? What does it look like, Lord? How can I step into a fullness of faith where there's no unbelief anytime? Right? That's what you do at home. Praise God. Everyone say, I love homework. I love talking to the Lord. That's a great homework assignment. Praise God. Yes. Two, the second thing, the second key to being an overcomer. Overcomers only do what the Father is doing. This is important. John 5, 19 to 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Isn't that a great scripture? Jesus only did what the Father was doing. You know, you can, you can actually, because Jesus is in you, right? You can read that scripture with your name there, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, Matt can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that Matt does likewise. For the Father loves Matt and shows him all that he himself is doing. Isn't that powerful? Come on. Because as he is, so are you in this world. You're one spirit with, with God. It's not blasphemy there. It's calling you into the fullness of your identity. And if Jesus lived only doing what the Father did, it's a good, like, we need to do that too. So you bring the pieces of your life and you lay them on the altar. It doesn't mean that you put on a Jesus robe and, and walk around like he did. Like, no. 
Oh, Keely's filming. It makes me so nervous. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It breaks my flow. You're going to have to get sneakier. <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying? Something about you lay your pieces. You lay the pieces of your life down on the altar. And you're like, God, what are you doing in my family? What am I going to do? in my family? What are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in my work situation? Find out what the Father's doing and then get about doing that, right? What are you praying over this situation? Sometimes we waste time praying stuff. The Father's not praying, right? Sometimes as Christians, we spend a lot of time doing things that the Father's not doing, And then we wonder why we're not seeing all of heaven's resources back us up. If you want all of heaven's resources backing you up, be like Jesus. Do what the Father is doing, right? (sighs) Number three. Overcomers, they take action. They take action. I was recently reading the story of David and Goliath. Is everyone familiar with that story? Be like, yes or no? Yes? All right. So quick, quick little overview. David was was nothing. He was a shepherd boy, right? He'd, He'd killed a lion and a bear looking after his father's sheep. And he was sent to take supplies to his older brothers who were serving in the Israelite army. And the the Israelites were fighting the Philistines and they would um, line up every morning and every night on two mountains, on the sides of two mountains with a valley in between. And so there's these vast armies lined up in a valley in between and there was a giant named Goliath and he was... Scholars argue about how big he was. I don't really care. It says he was a giant, so he's a giant. He's a big man, big scary man with all the, all the gear, right? And he, he gets up morning and night and he comes out in front of his army and he taunts them. He's like, who's going to fight me? And he curses them and he makes fun of them. And, and um, he's like... Send someone to fight me, and if they beat me, we will be your slaves. But if, we, if I beat them, you will be our slaves. And he just goes on and on and on. So David rocks up, and here's Goliath having a big taunt and cursing them and go, like going on like a pork chop, really. And 1 Samuel 17, 26, David... He's, he's a young teenage boy who is not in the army. And he comes out with this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Oh, he knows who God is. And he's like, how dare this man stand up against the armies of the living God. And we need to get a bit more grit about us when we come up against the enemy. How dare you come against 
a daughter or a son of the Most High God. How dare you come in and attack my family? How dare you come into my city? Wow. Imagine if we got some of that in our bones. Uh, Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Boom. It's pretty graphic. But he doesn't hold back. We need to be a bit more like, with the enemy. How dare, like, seriously. Overcomers take action. They don't fear. They don't partner with unbelief. And they're not passive. They do something when faced with darkness and evil. They rise up and they take authority. Overcomers trust in the authority and the name of Jesus. David didn't even have Jesus. He was just like, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. We have Jesus on the inside. We come against it in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. How dare anything evil come and mess with that? I love where he says, 1 Samuel uh, 17, 17, it says, The Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. We've got to get that too. We're we're co-laborers with the Lord, and it's all him. He does the fighting, but he needs vessels that will actually believe that he can do what he says he'll do. Amen? Overcomers trust that the Lord will back them up and fight the battle. David killed Saul, uh, not Saul, David killed Goliath that day with a slingshot and a pebble. Isn't that crazy? God will do amazing things with the little that we have. He bought what he had, his faith and what was in his hand and God did the rest. As a believer, you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. And for you to be an effective conduit of the kingdom, you need to think and behave like an overcomer. Be like David, be like Jesus, and lock all the unbelief. (laughs) Get it out. Be ruthless. And watch what God will do through your little life. And by the way, who wants to lose to an enemy that has no power? Don't let it be you. I don't want to lose to an enemy that has no power. I don't want to live a powerless Christian life. Especially if the devil's got no power. He's just... Yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah.